Hi there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five points of journalism. Who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. You're listening to episode 46, where we chat with Lisa. Stay tuned as we delve into the good, the bad, the ugly, and in this episode in particular, the just plain complicated truths about our poly lives. So, hey, Lisa, um, who are you? So I'm Lisa. I am a relatively new returnee to Wisconsin. I lived in California for about 10 years um, and then came back to be closer to family. I'm also relatively new to the poly world. Been in it for about a year and a half, two years now. And by trade, I started out as a minister and moved into being an attorney. I went away and came back after uh, about 20 years. So I totally <laughs> relate to that. Also came back to be closer to family. Yep. Having the grandparents nearby, especially in this time of isolation, has been really good. Agreed 100%. Though I am... Um, Stuck doing a lot more tech support than I had ever been imagined. <laughs> had ever imagined I would be doing. <laughs> so, how do you identify? I identify as a cisgendered female. I would say probably pansexual. Mostly, what I say is, you know, I'm attracted to people based on their brains and their hearts, not what's in their pants. Um, what drew you to polyamory? I kind of fell backwards into it. So I have been married for, oh, good Lord, I should know this, 13 years. Um, and I, honesty has always been one of my central principles. So when we moved back here, I found that I had feelings for someone else. And I talked about it with my husband. And his response was, go for it. And I was like, what? And he was like, what? And so then I started Googling everything. Um, and first I found swinging and I was like, well, that's not quite it. And then I found Polly and I said, okay, this kind of fits. And this gives me some vocabulary to work with and some people who've gone before and made some mistakes that I can maybe avoid and a group that I can talk to about the new mistakes that I'm making. I was excited to have an opportunity to make new mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I try so to always make new and inventive ones. <laughs> Absolutely. So what does polyamory mean to you? Gosh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, to me, it just means having multiple or having an openness to multiple relationships based on honesty and transparency for all involved. So is there anything you find particularly difficult about polyamory? <laughs> um, well, if marriage to one person is difficult, then a relationship with three is three times as hard because... I have conversations with each of my partners individually. Two of my partners are related to each other um, by marriage. And so I will have conversations with just them and not my husband. Um, we will have regular conversations between the four of us. So it's just a lot of a lot of talking and a lot of raw emotional transparency because you really have to know who you are and what's bothering you so that you can express it to people and you have to express it in a way that they can hear you. So you also have to know about them. And that's really oh. hard. And You all live together, right? Uh, not quite. We're two houses oh. down. Oh. <laughs> so uh, I hope you have a good of... relationship with that neighbor in the middle. 
<laughs> well, we do. We do, actually. And they're, they're very kind, and they also know our kids. So when they walk back and forth between the two houses, they've intervened on our behalf when concerned parents have stopped them. Oh, well, that's funny. We get to hear all the nature sounds. There's like uh, if you, if you want me to go inside, I totally can. Oh, no, it's kind of fun, actually. Funny. Yeah. Okay. Okay kind of answered this already, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because that's what we do. Um, so when did you know that you were poly? Got, uh, sometime around April or May of last year was when I discovered the term. Okay. And uh, when, if ever, did you feel different from other people? I'm not sure I ever did. I mean, I can... Like, when I met my husband, I was dating three guys, so (laughs) I'm not sure that that was a huge surprise to him, necessarily, Um, and I've always been generally open to it as a relationship model. I just never felt attracted to someone else, and so I figured I was monogamous because, you know, (laughs) I was only attracted to one person, and that was the right term. Yeah, um, so it was only when I started feeling attracted to another person that it kind of came up. Uh, where would you say you are in your poly journey? Muddling along. <laughs> um, it feels like a basket full of puppies, you know, all paws and tails. <laughs> um, but we're doing the best that we can. Um, and so far, I'm actually really shocked that we haven't had bigger issues come up like we've had issues come up but we've been able to work through them in a way that is way more mature than I would have ever thought I was capable of (laughs) (laughs) so so where do you hope to go in your poly journey I'm just planning on following it for now I don't know that I have any plans I like where we are I like how we're working things out Um, we've become more entangled as the year has gone on and it'll be interesting to see where it goes. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a plan. I'm just playing it day by day. <laughs> sure. It's not my normal as an attorney. Yeah. So why are you Polly? Because I love more than one person. <laughs> and I'm not going to, like I said, my, my core value is, is really... Um, Maybe not honesty so much as authenticity. And to me, those two are very intertwined. So I cheating was just not something that crossed my mind at all. So it had to be something where everyone knew and consented. So I, um, as most of us are on quarantine time, and uh, which is essentially means meaningless time, and especially for me who uh, has been laid off and... Uh, I forgot that it was even Sunday or the fact that it was two weeks from our last podcast. So I put out a a (laughs) call at 11 p.m. last night asking for people uh, if they would like, you know, in our local poly group, if they'd like to be interviewed. And you messaged me, which was really great. Um, Our last question is, why did you agree to be interviewed today? You obviously messaged me, but uh, why did you uh, respond to my to my call for for people? Um, Well, and and I have 
talked to one of my partners about this, but you interviewed one of my partners. And since then, I, I kind of had thought about, is there anything that I would have to contribute? And so when your call went out, I was like, well, you know, I could probably talk to this at least at a 10,000 foot level, as you'll hear in our many, <laughs> many disclaimers later. Um, and it's also an important thing to consider, um, especially as you move into um a poly relationship that has more entanglement, whether that's financial, emotional, if children come into the equation. And so I think it's very important to talk about. And we have time right now. So why not start talking about it? We're all in our houses um, putting together puzzles. Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully listening to podcasts. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. Watching hours and hours of Netflix. Mm-hmm. Playing Animal Crossing on my uh, my end. <laughs> uh, we are we are putting together a giant um, vegetable garden because apparently I'm slightly more prepper than I thought I was. That's really awesome though. I wish, I wish I had that I have a black thumb. Oh my gosh, I kill succulents. I kill everything. I did too, and then I put things in the ground outside. And as it turns out, nature is far better at keeping things alive than I am. I always get really excited at this time of year to start a garden. And then by July, I'm totally over it. (laughs) Which is, you know, not so great, really, because then there's like lots of little rotting cherry tomatoes all over my yard. And um, the neighbors are like, hey, so. uh..." (laughs) Oh, we have so many squirrels, rabbits, raccoons, literally all the time that I don't think I could really grow anything safely outside. (laughs) We are putting up some chicken wire right now because the uh, the bunnies took out the irises. Oh, yeah. I tried to grow strawberries once. I saw one. I was like, oh, look, there's a little strawberry. And, you know, hours later it was gone. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the worst is they take like one bite out of the strawberry. So the strawberry is still there, but you don't want to eat it now. Like, yeah, the toddlers <laughs> do that, too. <laughs> toddlers usually take it off the vine first, though. Yeah, that's true. we're gonna take a short break and we'll be back to talk about your topic all right so we are back and our topic today is legal issues and possible options for poly folks so um when you when you brought me this topic i was really excited because we've never really talked about legal issues uh relating to poly folks and um but before we start i know you wanted to give a disclaimer because obviously we, we shouldn't be held accountable for giving any advice legally. But uh, so, so what are your disclaimers for today? As with anything, um, law is very, very person and individual dependent. So your facts and circumstances are going to change what the legal advice will be in any situation like this, especially if you're considering financial or familial entanglement with your partners, you really want to talk to someone about your specific situation. And so nothing that we're talking about today is legal advice. What we want to do is get you thinking about this so that you and your polycule can talk about whether or not you want to look more deeply into any of the the options that we're talking about one of these feels like it might be right for you and then you should talk to someone specific and I believe we're going to try to get a list of poly-friendly folks together so that we can put that in the show notes Um, because it was short timing we weren't able to quite get that together but always always go and consult with someone who's an expert in this field and there's a lot of lawyers who are open to the poly lifestyle um, 
So they're out there. And then the one other, I, I do work part time as a district attorney. And so I, I feel obligated to say that nothing that I'm saying is policy of the district attorney's office. They are my opinions and my viewpoints. And I am also a lawyer who does not practice, a pri does not practice in private practice. Um, and none of these opinions uh, will, you know, that I may express will have any reflection on uh, my employer, who shall remain nameless. <laughs> um, but also, uh, these issues can really vary a lot state to state. And while all of us are in Wisconsin, um, uh, we know that many of our listeners are not. And so while the issues and ideas will probably translate across other U.S. Um, legal jurisdictions, it's really important to talk to somebody in the place where you live. Yes. Or who is licensed to practice in the place where you live. <laughs> yes, licensing is important. Yeah, and I feel like I'm just going to be the voice of the layman here because I have no background in law whatsoever, never even really talked to a lawyer. So, you know, we'll see. <laughs> uh, but I guess I should disclaim also, I cannot give legal advice in any way, shape or form. So <laughs> there you go. Yay, Lindsay, no practicing law without a license. <laughs> so I feel like we're solidly disclaimed. You all understand yeah. that we are talking about ideas and possible ways of addressing them but if you go and attempt to implement these on your own you are on your own <laughs> yeah i think we're safe yeah. we're covered i think the place that we should really start is outlining what some of the problems can be um so i they're, they're kind of three big buckets and i i want to come up with i've been trying to find like gender neutral names for a poly triad that we can kind of use to play with but i'm just going to call them a b and c because <laughs> i wasn't able to think of names <laughs> um so there, there were three big buckets of places where issues can arise that i could think of and um the first one obviously is financial um, especially as you start to um, be in a closer relationship with folks if you decide to move in together or even if you're regularly spending time and, and money together. The second one is um, children. So if you have children with one of your partners or if you have children um, outside of any of your current partnerships, that's that's a big area that can cause problems. And then um, health care. So who can make healthcare decisions for you? So for the, for the first one, for financial, if you're considering moving in with a partner, if you're considering purchasing property with a partner or a car with a partner, that's where issues could come up. Um, I, I hate to talk about breakups, but starting with the end in mind is generally a good idea. And so what will happen with this property? And this is one where... Um, state by state really matters because Wisconsin is a marital property state. And so while I may put on paper that I've purchased a car with a partner, I will still to whom you are not married. To whom I am not married, I will still have part marital property. My my husband will have marital property interest in that vehicle if I were to pass away. So there's you you want to be very careful about stuff like that. Um, you also don't want to think about death, but that could be an issue or divorce. That could be an issue. Well, and that's um, the thing I think of that I thought of when you said the thing about the car with another partner. If you got divorced, your part, your husband would have a marital interest in that car 
even though it's not in his name. Unless I had specifically, if both spouses consent, that's when property can become individual property. So I would need to have my husband sign off on me and that other partner owning a car um, and him not having access to it if we were to divorce. Um, and so the same is true with childcare. Um, generally, um, and I'm not as experienced in this area, but I know that there are some states that are moving into three parent arrangements. I don't know the state of the law in Wisconsin on that one, but it's presumed that the biological parents are the parents. And so if there were a divorce or if there were a separation or if there were a death, who takes care of the children? And even, I think actually yeah. in Wisconsin, it's a rebuttable presumption that a child born to married couple is a product of the marriage. Okay. Yeah, the, yeah, no. the birth certificates in Wisconsin say mother and husband. So wow. no matter who the biological father is, unless you opt for a paternity test, your husband is going to be the father on a birth certificate, despite them being biologically <laughs> the father at all. Right. I mean, like I said, you can you can get that altered, but that is the legal presumption. That, yeah, that's as far as I know, that's only a few states, but Wisconsin is one of them. And at, at a at a less who will take care of my child when I die area, I frequently take my partner's children with my child somewhere. And so we have some some just basic paperwork drawn up saying I can consent to medical treatment for this child if he breaks an arm or something like that. Um, and so having something like that, when you are not the parent of the child that you're taking out, or I take them to gymnastics places and I sign waivers for them. So I want to have something saying that, that I have the ability to do that. Um, so kids are always a complicating factor. And then lastly, that kind of ties into the healthcare portion of it. Who, who can make decisions for you? Um, and there's some fairly simple paperwork that you can put in place to say who those people can be. But if it's not, then it's generally presumed to be your, your family member, like your, your legal or biological family members who can make those choices. And that's something where you really may also run into issues, even if you have paperwork mm -hmm. um, with the training of the people who are, you know, at the, the sort of administrative staff level of providing the care. Um, my, I used to be married to another woman and, uh, when we went in the, one of the more recent times when I went in to take my kids for just like a routine checkup, the receptionist at the healthcare provider, um, when I, I don't remember how I worded it. I think she said, oh, are you the mother? And I said, I'm one of them. And <laughs> she went down a rabbit hole of, I need proof that you're authorized, you know, well, what she said is, I need proof that you're the biological mother. And I said, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> you know? And we really got into it. And eventually it became clear what she needed, what, what she wanted, was proof that I had the legal right to authorize care for my child. But that's not how she put it. Mm -hmm. and, um, and you will often run into people who may be using their own opinions about what's a good proxy for what they really need and your paperwork is not going to be familiar to them. Yep. So you kind of have to be mentally prepared for how out you may have to be under those circumstances. Very true. So Which is I, a good argument yeah. for being out to your healthcare provider. Anyway, sorry for going down that rabbit hole. 
<laughs> no, it's it's an important one, and and I generally think it's important to be out about anything to your to your medical professional because at least most medical professionals that I've met do not care, but they they will provide you care differently based on what you tell them. So always best to be completely honest with both your lawyer and your doctor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, so those are kind of the problem areas. And while we're in problem areas, I, I also just wanted to spend some time on just some things that are a hard stop. No. So things that you can't, you can contract to do almost anything so long as you get the wording right. But there are some things that you really can't contract to do. Um, and two of those, because I know that at least some of your listeners are a part of the kink community. And I, as an attorney, was very disturbed by um, the Fifty Shades of Grey book and the fact that it's got like a contract in there, which sounds really legal and, and sounds like a great idea. And it's just don't make a contract that's based on sex for food, sex for money, agreement to sex, agreement to being beaten, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it, it's not legally enforceable. Um, and also don't get married twice. That's like in the United States, that is still considered bigamy um, and is, is illegal. So <laughs> those are the two kind of, maybe that's also a disclaimer, but the, mm -hmm. you, you just, you can't contract to do those things. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of the people I know who have like plural marriages, well, not that I know or that I've seen, they have a ceremony, but there's no legal mm -hmm. paperwork at all attached to that second marriage. And I feel like that's fine. That's a party. Like who doesn't like a party, you know, uh, have, have whatever spiritual or... commitment ceremonies exactly. you want to have, gather your friends, declare yourself to your community, however you want to declare yourself to your community. But yeah, don't, do don't get don't too involving the government. <laughs> Yeah. Don't get two marriage licenses. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, that's that's the big thing. And I think that's one of the hardest bits is because there are some tax benefits that are accorded to married couples. And um, the domestic partnership has provided some ability to mirror that in same sex relationships. But there isn't a way to mirror that tax benefit for a group of more than two that I'm aware of. Um, other than some of the things that we'll talk about that can get close, but it's just, it's not the same. Not in the United States. Not in the United States, yes. <laughs> the South African post-apartheid constitution does permit multiple spouses. And I believe some, it, some countries where Islam is a primary religion will permit multiple marriages of one man to multiple wives. That's a different bowl of worms, though. Right. Let's not go there. Yeah. <laughs> um okay so, so solutions uh, yeah yeah solutions what are the solutions or possible <laughs> possible <laughs> nope, issue nope. options rewind rewind <laughs> what are some things that you might want to consider so i think the biggest one that i've heard um is the llc option right the limited liability company and forming that instead of a marriage and i'm not sure that that's so this, this is why you want to talk to an attorney. There are definitely some attorneys who have started putting those together in order to permit um, folks to work together and have like some liability shield to, to, to apply for joint health care. The legality of the health care thing is dubious at best, I think. Um, 
And one of the big issues that I see with a limited liability company is that the goal of it really is that it's to limit your liability. So for someone who runs a business, that can be pretty key. Um, So my husband owns his own business. He started as an LLC. Ultimately, he moved to a corporation for a variety of reasons. But the main place where that would protect you is if you had a house party and someone slipped and fell in your house party or something like that. It's, it's not going to give you anything really similar to the benefits of, of marriage. A contract, however, can get you very close. I actually had two professors in law school who were not married, but who had a contractual relationship agreement um, that defined what their personal rights and responsibilities were um, and talked about how their finances would um, be joined, where they would not be joined, et cetera. Um, so it is possible to, to mirror that when it comes to like living together. Um, if you wanted to have a pool of money that everyone contributed to from which meals and rent and other things would come out so that you're all contributing and you're all getting back from it um, in some sort of equal part. So, I mean, a, a limited liability company is out there. It is a way to entangle yourself. It is a way to provide some shield, but it's really more meant for a business than for like a family. Well, the other thing about the LLCs that makes me a little more nervous about that idea is that the businesses that are incorporated, like an LLC, are supposed to be trying to make a profit. Yes. And it's like the only thing that a company is supposed to do. (laughs) So the state of Wisconsin Department of Revenue has people whose job it is to like look at that stuff and say, hey you have this thing and you're not reporting any income from it. And we think that maybe you're full of shit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I'm all about the being out, but do you really want to like be out to the state of Wisconsin department of revenue auditor? I don't know. Maybe you don't like that doesn't seem to add value. Um, and it could be something that ends up being, you know, complicated and maybe then you need to hire a lawyer who specializes in tax law to try to explain to the Department of Revenue why you're not doing anything wrong. You just wanted to buy a house in this unusual way. And, you know, it just it, it seems a little more risky to me than the contract approach. Yep, I completely I agree. Is it... No, it's not less risky. I was like, what if you guys are actually starting a business together, but then in your LLC for your business, you put in contractual, you know, like stipulations that are more marriage-like, but honestly, that sounds like a really bad idea. (laughs) Like, I was like, wait, what if the business fails? Yeah, never mind. (laughs) I don't know. That sounds really, really dicey. It does sound like that could get complicated for sure. Yeah. I think when it comes to that first bucket, the financial bucket that we we started out talking about, a a contract written by someone who is a financial advisor or um, who who specializes in in home buying. So if if you want to buy a home, a real estate attorney can help you navigate how to put it in the right names and how to structure the paperwork so that you 
get what you want. And you may want different things. If you have an established partner who has a, a younger partner moving in, you may not want to automatically assign them a partial interest in the home. But if you are an established triad that's been together for a while, that's looking to purchase a home that you're all going to live in, that would be a different situation that you'd want to address. And so maybe being out to your realtor is a good thing to be. Um, well, and most realtors and real estate lawyers who have dealt with LGBT families, especially before legal marriage was available, probably have some experience with that because, you know, you had to know how to phrase the tenancy in the ownership documents to make sure that both people had you know, undividable interests in the, in the property. Um, and that's really what you're going for is you don't want like at an LLC model, somebody could leave the LLC and sell their share of your house to a third party, potentially oh. that you don't necessarily <laughs> want that. But if it's, if you work with the realtor to get the language, right, you can structure it so that everybody is on equal footing and not easily able to bail, which is and the, other... you know, the goal, right? Yep. And the other document that I want to talk about is, is a financial power of attorney document. It is a very powerful document. So you really want to trust people that you give a financial power of attorney to. It's also a pretty simple document to find. Wisconsin has them online. Um, I would suggest consulting with an attorney. And that's actually one that I am able to put together for folks um, if they'd like. Um, but it can go into effect when you die, which helps whoever you've named in your estate to execute your estate as you have directed them to do, because it lets them have access to your bank accounts and to your trust accounts and to your stock and all of that. Now, my husband and I have one in place and it is valid now, but it's powerful. He has purchased a car in both of our names without me present. And so that's why I say you really want to trust someone that you name in that. But it can also provide you a lot of flexibility to have your spouse or your significant other or your partner um, deposit checks for you if you have an account in your name or any number of other things that you may not have time to do that you may want your, your partner to be able to do. Um, so it, it can provide everything from real estate, as I said, to stocks and bonds, to anything to do with money, any financial instrument. So I think that covers at least some initial places to think for finances. Um, and I think one of the key takeaways that I want people to have is if poly is about honesty, it's about honesty and more than just your relationships. You really want to be having some difficult conversations with your partners about where your finances are and what they are and what your goals are. Because if they're going to become part of your life, then they should know what your goals are on that level. And it's very important to a relationship to be on the same page when it comes to finances too. Depending on the nature of the relationship, but yeah. Yeah, I'm not, this isn't first date talk. <laughs> well, and also, I have a solo poly, right? Yeah. So I don't anticipate having those kinds of building my financial future with someone relationships mm -hmm. they're still relationships and the idea of maybe having a partner with a power of attorney in the event of my um my death might make more sense 
or mm-hmm. having a close friend have that kind of thing so that they can take care of things that need to be taken care of before the probate process, which is very time consuming, gets completed. Like there's some really good reasons to do some of these documents, even if you are not in a marriage like relationship. And but, if you are in a marriage okay. relationship, um, I assume that those things are like assumed to go to your your spouse. But if you wanted them to go to someone else, is that like that's the point yep. of a power of attorney? Okay, okay. So like it, yeah. If you wanted it to go to a different partner instead of the partner that you have married, that would be the benefit. Yeah, and actually on that Wisconsin form, it's a box you check. You check first to my spouse and then to X or Y, or you check to X then Y. So Wisconsin's form actually has that pre-baked in. Then of power of attorney for finances. What about yeah. power of attorney for healthcare? That that's that's <laughs> a great place to move. So I, I like to think of healthcare as having three parts to um to the wheel: a will, a living will, and a power of attorney for healthcare. Um, and the last two are really joined. So let's start with those. The the power of attorney for healthcare tells your your family, however you define that. So biological or chosen, what you want in the event that you are incapacitated. So do you want feeding tubes? Do you want to be taken off of life support, etc.? The living will tells the hospital what you want if your family is not present when you go into the hospital. So for example, I'm in a car accident, I arrive at the hospital. If my living will is there, they will know what my wishes are. And then if someone turns up with a power of attorney for healthcare, they will know what my wishes are. Um, And that can really prevent a lot of heartache because it is very hard to make those decisions, especially when it's a loved one. So having what you want done spelled out is good not only for you, but also for your family members. Um, Because I I can remember how hard it was for my grandfather to withdraw saving care from my grandmother but it was what she wanted and they had had a lot of conversations about it. So those two documents, really, really simple, again, available on Wisconsin's websites and I'll, I'll get them to you for the show notes. Um, sure. It's a couple check boxes. Um, and some of them are a little nerve wracking. It's like, can you put me into a um, nursing home without having to have a competency hearing? And that's a hard decision to make. Um, and it's a hard thing to think about, but it is one that you, you really want to think about when you are not in the middle of crisis. Right. And it's also worth really making sure that you have those as conversations among the people who would be involved in the decision making, because you and your spouse may want slightly different things, or you mm-hmm. and your partners may want slightly different things. And so their assumptions about what you want or didn't want you know, it, that's a bad conversation to have people arguing about in a crisis. And again, the default is that your spouse would be the first one, but there are also checkboxes that let you put in other people. So for my parents, I am the primary, uh, my sister is the primary and I am the secondary for their healthcare power of attorney because she works in the medical field. And so that's just 
right. Like that's the way it should go. Yep. Um, For my family, I'm local, but my sister is not. And so I'm the primary person for the healthcare decision. And it doesn't have to be related. You can pick anyone and they can decline too. So if they're named, it doesn't mean that you're requiring them to pull the plug on you. They can say, oh, heck no. But it does give them the permission to do something like that. Useful to have that. Another reason why you should have the conversation though, but better to name somebody who agrees to be named. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, and then a will document, that's one where you do want to talk to an attorney. And I want to give a shout out to a program that I volunteer with called Wills for Heroes. Anyone who's a first responder can get a free will, power of attorney, financial power of attorney, and living will drawn up for them. Um, it's on hold now because it's an in-person process because you really do want to talk to an attorney. But once we're done with COVID, I encourage anyone who's a first responder to go to that program because it's free. Um, and you'll get, I mean, these are people who do this for a living, who will sit down with you and help you figure out your will and and where you want your finances to go. But that's also a place where you can name. So my other partners, I am named as the person who will take care of their child in the event of their death. And they've talked to their family about this. Um, but you can, you can name other people than your biological family to take care of your children Uh, in the event of your demise. And while this volunteer program may not be available while we're all under pandemic, law offices are considered essential services. And so, you know, many lawyers are working or working remotely. So you may be able to reach someone and set up a Skype call to talk Mm -hmm. about what you would want and exchange documents over email. It's totally possible. Um, Even I know that notaries are up and functioning. So you can, you can put together a will, and honestly, in a time where we're looking at healthcare, it's probably a good time to start thinking about that, because this disease could, could affect anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking that, too. Like, now more than ever, this information is, is something to be talking about, unfortunately. I had been telling people in the, a bunch, somehow this came up a lot late last year and early this year, and I told everybody... I'm not dealing with this problem in 2020. I'm dealing with this in 2021. Like I know I needed to address it. I know it's got to be on my list, but it's not on my list this year. But you know, um, I'm revising that thought process. Yeah. Yeah. My my parents went back and looked at it too, just because it is a reality. The only the only human condition out there. I think we've covered most of what I wanted to cover. What about breakups? so as I said it you don't want to think about it but beginning with the end in mind is important especially when there are things like children involved um and that's something that I personally have had to to think about um because my child spends a lot of time with my partner's child especially now that we're we've we've decided to call ourselves a quarantine Um, (laughs) (laughs) oh because we are quarantining with each other and not with anyone else so even my parents will remain six feet apart and that's been really hard for them but it lets my child have someone else to play with during the day um and so how are you how are you going to navigate that if you break up it's going to be four times more complicated than any divorce if four people are involved three times if three people are involved so really do sit down and talk about how can we be adults if this comes together now, premarital agreements are not necessarily going to help unless you're getting one of those legal marriages because they only go into effect when you're married. 
Um, but you can still talk about, and if you're really getting, if you're getting into that situation where you're really enmeshed, it would be a good idea to have an attorney put together. How are we going to separate this out? How, how are we going to separate our finances back out if something goes wrong? How are we going to work visit visitation? Will someone be able to see the children? Are they going to have any rights to anything with regards to this child, whether that's a say in education? Am I going to have support? Am I going to want to, to say that I will support you even if we break up? Because I may want to do that. Um, and so then talking again to a family attorney is, is just going to be so key in that. I, and I think it's important yeah. too to talk about here how developmentally critical it is for kids who have those secure relationships with adults to be able to maintain them. Like if mm -hmm. your child is attached to those other, you know, people in your life, it's not good for your kid to mm -hmm. not to be cut off from them. And so having, you know, making that plan of how are we going to focus on the needs of the most vulnerable people in this relationship who have the least amount of control over it while we're in a good place so that we can come back to that if things ever do end up going south and say, okay, I know we're really angry with each other right now, but it is in the best interests of little, you know, so-and-so that we suck it up and find a way to get along to maintain the mental health of the children in this situation. Yeah. And, and anytime that there's someone of lesser capacity involved, whether that's a relative that you have who's been brought into the relationship um, because you care for them regularly or something like that. You just, you really want to be sure that you're putting their needs first. And so we've had that conversation. If we break up, we intend to continue letting them have access to our child because they've taken a big part in it. And the other thing that I'd say for families like ours is we do have parenting conversations amongst the four of us. We talk about how we want to do discipline, when we want to discipline, how we want to direct them. And we happen to be religious. So what sort of religion do we want to expose them to? I think all of that is a part of the poly journey and it's a complicated part. For I sure. also hear a lot of stories about um, folks who break up and then one of the partners will use poly against them when it comes to maybe trying to um, obtain custody and things like that. Mm -hmm. Would it be smart for someone to make a contract that says like, hey, we're both consenting to being poly and you can't use this against me in the future? And uh. I say, well, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I feel like, you know, those kinds of things are not likely to be binding, but on the other hand, they probably couldn't hurt. Like, we are all consenting that this is how we live our lives, and, you know, it's sort of, you never really know what's going to happen in a super high-conflict custody situation. Mm -hmm. um, the, there's a strong tendency in courts to serve the relationship of the biological parents or the married parents. And I think it would be very difficult in a high conflict relationship to be able to legally maintain other relationships to that child. But having that kind of thing might help the person who wants to maintain being poly. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's another piece of evidence that will maybe support their case to 
equal custody. I completely agree. There, There's not a silver bullet in law for just about anything. And it is always possible, depending on how conservative your judge is. Well, not conservative. That's uh, labeling. Just depending how on much, how your judge is. How Thank your you. judge is. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, pardon me if I mess up. I'm very new to this. Um, no, 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 no. You're not. You're doing great. But I, I, I think it's one of those contracts that might be valuable just because it, it also sets down on paper something that both of you agree to at that point in time it's kind of most most of those liability contracts that you sign have a lot of flaws in them and and the point of it is to say okay there's risk in this and acknowledging that risk is is good for all members of a relationship or everyone who goes to a ski resort um so so it's i i don't see how there could be a particular harm in that or at least there's not one I've thought of right now. But it's not a hundred percent guarantee. Right. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Not even close. <laughs> yeah. No. No. The only other thing that, you know, I would like us to get together is a list of poly friendly lawyers or consultants. And then some of those links for the power of attorney and wills so that we can put in the show notes. But is there anything else or advice that you would like well, uh not legal advice that you'd like to give folks? Uh, in the poly community for uh, when it comes to legal issues? Actually, there is. I I give some general tips to people who are looking for an attorney about anything. And I I think it's worth repeating. You can interview an attorney. Find someone you click with. Even if they're all poly-friendly, you might get along with one and not get along with another. And having a good working relationship with your attorney is very important. Ask about money ask how much it'll cost, ask when you're going to get checked in with. Those are all things that any lawyer is comfortable discussing and that you want to have on paper before you engage someone. So that that first call to a lawyer, as much as the media would like you to think that the billing starts then, is often free. And they will talk like they will talk through how they work. And you don't want to go in and say, OK, here's the eight ways that I've broken the law. I need your help. <laughs> but to, to give them a general idea of, you know, I'm, I'm a poly person and I'm looking to purchase a, a car with one of my partners. I need help. And then they can tell you how they operate, what they charge. Feel free to ask questions and also feel free to, to ask some questions about what their general philosophy is to make sure that you mesh. Because like with a medical professional, I, I, don't, I can't think of an attorney who would be offended if you have that initial meeting and decide to go with someone else. Sure. Because I want, I want you to like me too. I want us to work together because I'm going to have to give you potentially some bad news and we need to start from a good place. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And there are a lot of lawyers out there, right? Oh like, my God. So- there are so many lawyers. <laughs> yeah. you, can, you can find someone who fits you. Yeah. Cool. Do you have any other uh, questions to add, Katie? I do not. I think this was really productive, though, and really helpful. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Lisa, for agreeing to be interviewed. Yeah, and thank you for for quasi being interviewed with me. (laughs) (laughs) I am full of opinions. I have no shortage of opinions. That is fabulous. (laughs) All right, great. So So stay sane, everyone. Stay healthy. Yeah, stay safe. Wash your hands. Stay home. home. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. And that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We have been Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams. We'd like to thank podcast husband Rob for being our sound engineer. And thank you, Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Polyamory Uncensored. 
contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash polyamoryuncensored. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye. Bye.